Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. But let's uh, let's go with a word of prayer, and then we're going to talk about the book of James, and um, I'm just so excited to be here. Lord, it is good to be in your house. It's good to be with your people. But Lord, it's great to be having your word in front of us. So Lord, as we sit here and we read your word, God, the same spirit that inspired it, we ask it to reveal it to us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, help us to see, help us to understand, and speak to us so we can know, God, what you said and what it means for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the book of James, and let's go to James 1.1. And so we'll start there, and um, it's going to say, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. In verse, but when you go to read a book of the Bible, which I constantly encourage and I hope that you're doing, it is very good to find out two things. One, Figure out who wrote it. It's good to know who wrote the book, to know a little bit about that person, their background. That'll help you understand what they're talking about. The other thing is, is who it's to. So this is James, and he calls himself a few things. He says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word in the Greek for servant is the word doulos, um, and it means it's kind of would almost be better like bond servant. So it's not just any kind of servant, but it's a, a servant who would willingly give his life to serve another. Servanthood in that time was often, it could have been for a certain number of years, often seven years you would go and serve. And you think about it, you didn't have anything, you couldn't survive and provide for your family, so you'd go offer your service to somebody maybe taking care of their land or their um, crops or their, their cattle or livestock cattle, but sheep and goats and things like that. But some people would become bond servants. They would say, you know what, I have it pretty good here. This guy takes care of me, he's generous, um, I'm good. And they would offer themselves willingly and say, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I choose to stay here. And that's, that's really what James is saying. It's a, it's a servanthood of God, but it's this willing service of saying, you know what, I have nowhere better to go but God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's served. Now let's go and let's talk a little bit more about James because there's some things we need to know. Um, and you can stay there in the Bible. The verses will come on the screen or you can flip around with me. But let's go to Mark chapter 6, verse 2, I believe. So Mark, this is out of the book of Mark. It's one of the times to understand where it's coming from. So it says, on the Sabbath, and they said... So people are hearing Jesus, they're astonished because he's teaching not like one of their scribes, but like one with authority. And they say, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom? And in verse 3, it says, how was it given to him? How has he done such mighty works? Keep going. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Imagine just calling Jesus the carpenter. That's how they knew him. He was a real person. 
Jesus didn't just show up on the scene, but he actually came from a community where he was just a carpenter, just somebody who worked with his hands, wood and stone. And they said, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters with us, and they took offense. So here we see James as just one of Jesus's brothers. And this idea of Jesus having brothers, like that, that's pretty amazing. And I want you to picture, and so some people say, well, what does it mean that he was his, his brother? There's a few different things that scholars say. Some say that he was like Joseph's child from before Mary that Joseph had some children before Mary. Mary might have been his second wife. Um, but others say, and I, I think the way that it reads, um, is that these were children that Mary had after Jesus was born, because that would have been a, like a good thing for a woman in this culture. Like you wanted to have children. You wanted to fill your house with young ones and and so I want you to picture James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and, and the sisters, that they're not all listed there, but they grew up with Jesus. This is before he really started his miracles, before he started his ministry, but he was still the word become flesh. And, and they saw him, they saw him day in and day out. They, they saw how God with us lived. Who knew him? believe in him. If you go to John chapter 7 verse 1, after Jesus went, it says after Jesus, this is still talking about Jesus' ministry, after Jesus went in about Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jesus is pretty smart. They're trying to kill him. They're staying out of there. But in verse 2, let's keep going. It says, now the Feast of Booths was at hand. So there was going to be this big festival in Jerusalem. And his brothers said to him, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. Like they're brothers. They're even trying to boss Jesus around. They even thought that they knew better on Jesus. And like, I think that comes from how close they were. Jesus, you're not doing these miracles where people can see him. They're going to have this festival. There's going to be tons of people there. Go. Go and do them there. But it, what's interesting is keep reading because in verse 4, it says, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, go show yourself to the world, verse 5. It says, because not even his brothers believed in him. So you almost get a sense that they didn't trust him. They didn't even think he was doing things the right way. Isn't that like a brother? Didn't saw how he knew him. Thought that they knew better. They had lived their whole lives with him. They saw how he reacted. They saw how he interacted with everybody. But they even thought that he knew better. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 and 7, this is talking about Jesus after the resurrection. And this is a message after Easter where we celebrated the resurrection. It says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So Jesus appeared to a lot of people. There was one time that he appeared to 500 people. They were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The next verse. 
It says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So like James got a special, some kind of appearance. And I, I can't imagine what that would be like to see your brother that you grew up with, that you knew, that all of a sudden started this ministry. And when the ministry was going on, you weren't even 100% like on board. You thought you knew better. You're telling him to do things and he's, he's ignoring you because you don't even believe in him yet. Then he dies on the cross. And you got to imagine what would James have grown up with? He grew up with the story of Mary, like being overcome by the spirit of God and becoming pregnant supernaturally. James grew up with the story of the wise men coming to the house. In fact, it probably happened, you know, it could have happened within a few years of Jesus's birth. So James might have been a baby, he might have been around at that time. But, but he, he grew up with all these stories, the shepherds seeing angels and hearing the chorus of angels singing glory to God on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Like he knew these stories, but he didn't believe. And then he saw Jesus start to build this following and he sees Jesus get crucified. Well, then the Lord appeared to him. And I think that settled it for him. Because after the risen Lord appeared to James, he rose up and rose up and he became the church. He wasn't one of his disciples, but he rose up and he became one of the, in fact, probably the main leader in the Jerusalem church. If you go and you read James, um, you know, he helps write a circular around about how Jews and Christians, Jewish believers in Christ and Gentile um, believers in Christ, how they should interact um, but, but he spent a lot of his time kind of in that church in Jerusalem. This book of James, and you can go back to James chapter 1, it was probably written about A.D. 40, A.D. 50. So that's maybe 7 to 50 book. It's written by his brother. Um, we have some things in history about James, and I just want you to know who he is. They, they called him James the Just. If you notice, there was at least two disciples called James. And a little hint, James wasn't really even their name. It was Jacob. Like, if you go look it up, it's Jacob. Um, but, you know, we call him James. And they, they called him James the Just. It's interesting that they said Joseph was a just man who refused to put Mary away. And so you got to realize, not only was G James raised right alongside Jesus as he grew up and saw how the living word, but he also had Mary and Joseph. And God picked them for a reason. They were good people. Like they had, there was a reason that the spirit of God chose them. So he was raised well. He was called James the Just. They said, um, some of the people said that his knees were like really hard and had calluses like a camel because he would spend so much time in prayer, praying for the mercy of the people and praying that God would, would reveal himself. James most likely died right before the city was destroyed by the Romans. There's a few different accounts. The one that I lean to, and you can go read them for yourself, but it says that they, they, they knew he was, was just. Some people even said he had taken a Nazarite vow that he had never drank in alcohol his whole life. And live like a Nazarene. If you go read that in the Old Testament, you can see that. But he was this holy man, like very pious, very godly. And one of the stories is, is both of them agree he was stoned. But one of them says that before he was stoned, they took him to the high place on the temple 
and they wanted him to denounce Christ. And so the crowd, if you could get Jesus' own brother to denounce him, this leader, he might even look like Jesus. Just like a brother looks like another brother. But they have him on this temple, up on the temple in the high place. And they're like, denounce Jesus. But instead of denouncing Jesus, he like announces him and starts talking about how he believes in him and how he's coming back in the clouds. And so then they do something, you know, they, they push him off. And he falls, but he doesn't die. And then he starts praying for them. God forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And then they start to stone him and he's praying harder for them. And then some guy, a fuller, one of the people that would like beat out clothes, took a club and came up to his head and James was with the Lord. So this is like, I want you to see who this person is, like a very godly person. It's a, this book of James is, is full of very practical, it's almost like the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a lot of practical advice. Like you could read just a few verses out of this book and you can find something you can take away. Um, some people say that James and Paul, like they don't disagree, they're contrary, or they do disagree, they're contrary. But I see them very complimentary. I see Paul, you're gonna, we're going to talk about faith and works. Paul, I would say, talks about like the root of salvation, that salvation comes from faith and it's like a gift of ourselves. And I would say that James kind of talks about the fruit of salvation. Like I'm saved, I believe. Like now what? How do I live? And so this James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus' brother, he was also married. In 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about he had a wife. But James, he writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. In the book of Acts, we read that there was a big persecution. Stephen got killed, and there was a big persecution, and a lot of people were like, I'm out of here. I still believe in Jesus, but I can believe about him over there. It's much safer over there. And so they spread all around kind of the known area, which would be hard, right? Leaving everything, leaving your family. I mean, they might have gone, everybody's starting over. And he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, these people that were dispersed, very early book, probably writing to the people that were dispersed after the, Stephen was, was, was killed. And he says something in verse 2. It's very practical. This whole book is going to be practical. And we're going to read through it together over the next few weeks. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not what you want to hear when you're in a trial. Right? When you're in a trial and when you're going through something, do you want the first thing that somebody says is, hey man, count it all joy. Like that's a hard, that's hard. That's not like, I know it's so hard and you've given up so much for Jesus and it's been so difficult, but you're holding in there. Like James gets right to the point. He's like, count it a joy. Count it a joy. If you go and you read this word count, it's, it's like a mental faculty. It's like something you have to do with your mind. And I want to tell you, like, you might be in a trial. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've decided to preach this book 
a little while ago. I knew I was going to go through this book. This was the next book of the New Testament. And this week, we got to go through a trial. It was awesome. Best thing ever. My wife was in the hospital. We, we took her to the emergency room Monday night. She got out Thursday. It was great. It was a trial. But there's a mental choice in that to say, like, all right, I got to accept this. I got to go to work during it. It was great. Going to work is awesome anyway. And then when you're going to work after not sleeping, that's even better. And then your wife's in the hospital and you're like, do I have to leave right now or should I stay? Some days I stayed home all the way. And then some days I, I was kind of going back and forth. Um, our refrigerator broke. That was awesome. Like who loves like very important. The refrigerator broke. Um, and then when, when I went home, I rushed home one morning to try to make it to work. And the dog got out. He's running around the woods. Like it was just, it was just all out there. And like all these times, choice. It says count it. How many times can you count something without forcing yourself? Like we, they had these, uh, my wife's, my daughter's birthday's coming up. They had these teacups that they're trying to count how many they had. And I remember sitting there and I was like, all right, that's five and five, so that's 25 minus one. All right, it's 24 cups. You know, like I counted it. I, it doesn't come naturally. You have to, to think through it. And I'll be honest, sometimes trials are not fun. In fact, they're never fun. But we're supposed to count it joy. Now, that sounds terrible. Count it as something that brings this experience of gladness and peace and satisfaction. My brothers. Verse 3, it says, For you know, you know this. This is something you know in your heart, that when you're pressed and you're stretched, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That word steadfastness in the ESV is also like endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. We need people that can endure. Didn't Jesus endure? He endured a lot. And he's building that in us. In verse 4 it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let endurance have its full effect. Like know that you've been stretched to the max, but he's not allowed you to break. Know that. Let it have its full, complete, lacking nothing. That these trials that we get into, they reveal something to us about ourselves. But it says like the ultimate goal, and I want you to sit on these two words, perfect and complete. Like we were quick to say nobody's perfect, and that's true, nobody's perfect. In fact, like we aren't. But that doesn't mean that's not Christ's goal. Now it may not happen until he returns, but that's where he's taking us. He's taking us to a place where we are changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so we can't just say, oh, I'm not perfect, and leave it there. We have to, like, say, you know what, I'm not perfect, 
there's some work I need Jesus to do. In fact, my breaking point came yesterday. We were putting the new fridge in. The wife was home getting the fridge inside of the house. And a piece broke that connects the water line to the ice maker. And they don't make that piece in this world anymore. And so rather than just going to the hardware store and finding the one piece that you need, like if you could just give me this piece, this job is done in like five minutes. It turns into, all right, now we got to do this and do that. And, oh, they don't even have like a cap and, you know, going to three hardware stores. And nobody that really knows what I'm looking for. Not that they're not out there. I'm just saying that's my, that's my trial. And this amount of, like, anger and frustration just came over me. I was like, all I want to do the couch house from leaking and sit on the couch. I'm not perfect. But that doesn't mean that's not where God is leading me. And God is leading us to this place of maturity. And it says complete. That idea of complete, like you're going to complete your race, what God has called you for and lack nothing. And so when you go through these trials and you go through things that are difficult, know that it's not necessarily the devil. Sometimes it might be. Sometimes it might just be the fact that Home Depot and Lowe's and every other place decided that they don't want to carry that one piece that you need. But that was not the devil. And sometimes it's the Lord allowing you to go through these things because they want to build endurance. He wants you to last. He doesn't want you to be a flash in the pan. He, he wants you to stay around and be able to deal with whatever comes. And that if maybe one day you were the person they brought out on the roof to denounce Jesus, that you'd been through so much that you look around and you'd be like, well, that's not going to happen. And you announce him. And then they push you down and you're like, well, I guess all I can do is pray. And they're throwing rocks, and you just say, well, I guess I'm going to pray more. And you see the guy with the club coming, and you're like, oh, thank you, God, because I'm done. But it's this idea of being complete. Verse 5, very practical. He's talking about trials in this first little section. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you leave here with any verse that you could use, like this is a verse that I go back to all the time. God, I don't know how to deal with this situation. It works at work. God, I don't know how to deal with this at work. Give me wisdom. You're asking the God who had enough wisdom to create your body and let all those little systems work together to allow you to move and digest food. The same God who like said, you know what, let's put the sun this far away and tilt the earth just this much and all the temperatures are going to be good and we'll get some you know, air moving around and then we'll have these, this water flush things out into the ocean Like who created these great systems that can sustain life He's saying that when you don't have wisdom, that you can ask him. 
That's awesome. And then he says, he gives generously. So not only will he give you wisdom, but a lot of it. I need a lot of it. He gives it generously to all without reproach. He's never going to say, you dummy. How do you not know this? Have you ever asked somebody for advice and you know that they're going to put you down while they're giving it to you? But since you, well, if you would have listened to me the first time, you wouldn't have to do this. But since you didn't, here's the way out. No, it's, it's this generous generosity of God that gives us the wisdom to all without reproach. And it says it will be given to him. So I can promise you one thing. You will meet trials. You're going to be tested. Something is going to be difficult. I can promise you that because that's life. But in the midst of that trial, when you don't know what to do, if you'll call on him. It's so, that's amazing. But in verse 6, James says, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the ones who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So asking in faith. See, we talk about faith and we think that faith is only that faith that we place in Jesus, which that's good and that's awesome to place our faith in Jesus, but it's also having the faith that when you're in the midst of a trial, the next time, maybe tomorrow, maybe on the way home, and you're sitting there and you're in this trial, you don't know what to do, and you finally realize, I'm getting ticked off, they don't have this part, there's no reason they shouldn't have this part, why on earth would they stop making it? That you can sit and you can say, all right, God, give me wisdom. And I remember even doing that in that stupid hardware store. I was like, all right, Lord, I'm not going to get what I need. So show me what we can do here. Show me. Because that guy's not helping, Lord. I'm just kidding. He was a nice man. Bless his heart. That's what they say in the South, right? Bless his heart. But he was busy, you know. He had other people helping him and asking him. So, but... It came together. And so I want to encourage you guys. Are you in a trial? Is something going on? Is something difficult? Count it joy. I didn't say it. That's, that's the word of God. Because know that that trial is going to produce something in you, some endurance. And this will be the, the last thing I'll, I'll end with. I was, this is gross, so forgive me, bacteria that is in the guts of endurance athletes, of high-performing athletes. And they were talking about how even that bacteria in their stomach is better at processing lactic acid. That lactic acid that when you move your muscles and they get sore, it's that acid. But that even that that bacteria can do that and change. And they were talking about there's some people you don't want to hear how they get it. But there's some people that are taking a little bit of that bacteria and it's just 
giving them more energy and they're able to have more endurance and it's it's amazing when your body is stressed something changes inside of you you're different on the inside naturally I think it's the same way spiritually when you go through these stresses that God gives you something that can process all the stress all the anxiety all the worry like his spirit works in you and something that could crush somebody else by God's grace does not crush you. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head just for a second? I want to know if perhaps there's somebody here that is going through a trial. Could be any kind of trial that that you're in. And maybe you need to ask God for wisdom. And maybe we could pray with you this morning. So would you stand with me, church? I'm going to, as the music plays, situation, but just reading what the scripture says, it says, when you meet trials, we should expect that it happens. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give generously. If you're in the midst of a trial in your life and, and you don't know the way out, you don't know what to do, or maybe you don't even know what God is trying to teach you, we would love for you to join us up here and we'll pray with whoever is in that boat. Amen? So my, wife, my wife's going to come up here with me. If that's you, I'm going to encourage you without any shame, without any guilt, you might not have even brought it on yourself. But if you need prayer, you're welcome to come up. But let's close with a prayer all together first. Lord, we thank you that when we meet trials, we can count it joy. We can trust that you're changing us, that you're revealing things to us, that we might need to repent, we might need to look at things differently, but that these trials are for our good, to build endurance, to make us better and stronger. And Lord, if there's anyone here that lacks wisdom, that doesn't know how to navigate their trial or even understand why this thing has come upon them, we would love to pray for them this morning. So give them the grace if, that's, if there's anyone in here that needs prayer to come up. If not, for the rest of the people, Lord, I pray that as we go on this week, that we could count it all joy whenever we approach trials or tribulations. In Jesus' name, amen.